Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Good morning, everyone. We've been here at Daibasatsu Zendo since election day aftermath, and it's been a wonderful place to be during this uh, rather cliffhanging uh, couple of days. And while some of you were dancing in the streets, the residents and I were sitting on the deck in the sun having matcha, delicious whisk tea in honor of our president-elect and vice president-elect. So this morning, it gives me great pleasure to introduce someone you all, many of you have known for a long time, Geno Linda King, who is the designer of all of our materials, printed and digital, who with her husband, Bill, is responsible for our wonderful website, and most importantly, who has been a really sincere and dedicated Zen practitioner here at the Daibasatsu and New York Zendo temples since 1996. She and I have done innumerable sessions together and I'm very happy to uh, have her here to offer a Dharma talk this morning. Good morning, everyone. I want to uh, start with um, something I think possibly uh, we all feel, and that is uh, simply. I don't want to make a, I have a very loud voice from all the chanting I've done over the years, so I don't want to break your um, speakers. The waiting and hoping and doubting and expectations um, these last few days was really, really difficult. But um, to quote Trevor Noah, this is 2020, everything is difficult. Intellectually, I knew this was going to happen. I knew that there was going to be this period of waiting, um, but you know, hope arose and I thought, well, you know, there'll be, maybe there'll be a landslide. So I found out, uh, you know, I live in an apartment. We went to up to DBZ for a while, but then uh, we came back. And I live in an apartment building that faces a lot of other houses. And uh, we had very loud cheers during the cheering for the, um, you know, uh, first line people uh, during the height of COVID. So. 
I kept my ear out to hear, listening, listening, because I don't watch the news and mainly, and uh, I knew that my neighbors would um, tell me when and if it was over, and they did. They started screaming and banging on pots and honking their horns and going absolutely nuts. And they said, this is it. But somehow I didn't even really get it until um, last night after the speeches, which were amazing and so inspiring and embracing all of us until I saw the fireworks. And for some reason, I can't tell you why, I physically got it. It's over, this nightmare. Disease, disaster, and almost like the end of our democracy as we knew it, as I knew it, I'm 72. So I've lived a while and have seen a lot of stuff, but there was no, there's been nothing like this, nothing. When I was asked to speak, I was, you know, not, it, it's difficult to do this. Um, usually I'm asked to speak during session and, um, and I have like five, I asked to speak at the end. So I have five days to figure out what the hell I'm gonna say. But this time um, I knew that there would be something to say, <laughs> um, but I didn't know what it was gonna be. So I, I, I waited, I waited until yesterday, not until, you know, Biden was announced, but starting in the morning, there were ideas that I had, but I wanted it to be about now, not about a few days ago. So the last time I spoke also at DBZ, I spoke about um, something Yamakawa Roshi said to me, uh, a year ago, or was it a century ago? He said, take care, take good care of yourself. It's a hard um, direction, I felt. And this year it came in, uh, it's something that really uh, helped me. And I saw how everyone was taking care of each other in my building, in my neighborhood, all over the world, people were reaching out to take care of each other, how to take care of ourselves. Take care of yourself. And now we have an opportunity again in another way. 
to take care. The last election, we went up to Sun Moon for the actual election day because the last election we were here, um, you know, in front of the TV and um, had a physical response to the news. My skin started to itch and burn and I felt like I wanted to rip it off. So I thought, let's try to not repeat that and go somewhere where I don't have the, um, the temptation. So fortunately I have, Bill and I, my husband and I have been renting a little house on the grounds of DBZ for about 20 years. And uh, we went there. This election was very different for me also. I have never been terribly political and I worked for the, to get the vote out. I wrote 90 letters um, and I, like so many others, were much more involved than um, ever. Um, we spent the day, the election day, uh, I voted by mail and Bill voted early here, but in person. And so we spent the day planting bulbs. If any of you have ever tried to plant anything uh, at DBZ, you'll know that the, there is no earth, it's just rocks and tree roots. So it's quite an event to actually dig any anything and plant anything, but we bought dirt and we managed. Um, and it was, it was a wonderful way to spend the day. That night, we sat with uh, some of you uh, at New York Zendo. Um, and, then, and then we talked, all of us together after that sit. And many sat all through the night. Some, I, I sat until about 10, I think. But when we talked, there were people that wanted to um, sort of like myself and my husband, sort of disconnect from the media circus. Some people wanted to be present for it, to wanted to be involved. And other people were very much aware of um, the systemic problems that led to this kind of division and inequity that we are in the midst of. Some people were really excited about the turnout. Do you know that more people uh, voted in this election than any election in the history of the United States. What's interesting also about this is how I found out because I get, I support and get emails from uh, an organization known as the Karen Foundation. And it is in Lebanon, it helps Syrian refugees uh, with schools and various other programs. They told me this. People all over the world are, super, are much more involved than we think 
um, in what we're doing here. We have uh, someone who joins us in the morning um, from Australia to sit. He joins us to sit and talk. It was 1.30 in the morning when we got off uh, the call this morning with him, with the Zoom meeting. So he stays up till 12.30, 1.30 to talk with us and sit with us. And he talked about, he's talked to us many times about the effect that um, what we do, what, what we do here affects the world. It's not something um, I think of. We were all so focused on the outcome, uh, you know, during these last few days um, that we couldn't predict really. I mean, we could hope, we could guess the pundits were, but we didn't know. It was out of our control. The situation happens every single day, every single minute. But this time it was very clear. We're really faced with the suffering our clinging to our preferences causes us. When we could release our expectations, we could breathe. During COVID, um, as part, sort of part of my practice, you know, when COVID was very, not during COVID, during the high point of COVID in New York City. The high point of COVID is right now in this country. But anyway, I went out and took pictures. It was the spring. So I took pictures of all these beautiful flowers and posted them. I mean, I'm not a real social media person, but I did that. I could breathe just for that moment of accepting what is outside of one's preferences. During this election period, um, I guess election day, I must've been freaking out about something, I don't remember. And my husband said, well, that's because of your preferences. And I thought, yes, that's, that's correct. And someone else said, you know, when you, I was talking about, I don't know what, you know, I, I don't know what to talk about. And they said, you should talk about preferences. So I began to think about preferences in a different sort of way than I had before. Um, who among us here or anywhere didn't have any preferences on election day or night or subsequent days? So I began to think about this and, um, you know, like we all have been, we have the longest session in the history of Zen here. And digging in day by day by day by hour by minute to all the things 
we may have said, oh, I know that. Oh, I'm, I'm good. No more needs to be said or dealt with on that subject. So as it happened, or Ada Roche used to say there's no coincidences, I started to uh, revisit, um, or actually for the first time, really get into this book, which is uh, the Diamond Sutra, uh, translated in comments by Red Pine, which is amazing. And, you know, I've never really studied. Uh, when I first started to practice Ada Roshi, I mean, I don't know whether he said this, but certainly I got the impression that um, we should just sit. We should not read. We should not study. We should just sit. You know, the way I describe it to myself is sit down, shut up and see what happens. So that was my practice. Um, I have a friend, a dear friend who is who started out as a Theravada practitioner. And she says to me, oh, what do you think of the blotty, blotty, blotty? And I am like, nah, because I really haven't studied. But I always loved hearing, reading the Diamond Sutra during uh, our sessions and you know, we have many of our sessions at the Diamond Temple. And the Diamond Sutra has really been the thing, the teaching that I do know, do have in my heart. So I bought this book a while ago and, and I, I don't know, just didn't, started reading it, you know, got distracted, you know how it is. The Buddha tells us over and over again in the Diamond Sutra about the, the illusion of a separated individuality, the delusion, the misunderstanding, that all composite things, that's all of us, everything else are connected. They can't be separated. And because there is no specific self, exist, specific self-existent form, we call that shunyata or emptiness. There's a, you know, and so I'm gonna read you a quote. The Buddha taught the doctrine of emptiness in which all entities are seen as dependent in time or space or other entities and thus empty of any nature of their own and hence not in themselves or of themselves, real. Okay. I also happen to be reading um, Carlo Rovelli who is a theoretical physicist and I love theoretical physics because it proves either mathematically or actually physically the teachings that we follow 
I first the first book. Well, we didn't read it. Uh, a, a, a member of our little group that meets every morning suggested reading this. And the first book, I, I get books from the library. Um, some of them are audiobooks. Some of them are, are Kindle books. Um, so the first book that I got from Carla Ravelli was an audiobook called Reality is Not What You Think It Is. Great title, right? So, you know, I've heard about Einstein's theory of relativity since I was a child, but the word relativity, everything is related. Nothing has a separated existence. In fact, there is no specific existence as such at all. Just a set of conditions that appear at a time and location based on cause and effect. Sound familiar? Every morning service we chant, form is no other than shunyata, it's emptiness. Emptiness is no other than form, not nothing, not void, but everything together. The second part of that is what I'm thinking about now. The second part, not form is emptiness, but emptiness is form. The Buddha also tells us in the Diamond Sutra, which I've always been sort of interested in because it's just like one little tiny bit in what we chant um, about not clinging to the raft of Dharma. In this uh, red pine, read you one more quote. The Buddha urges us to let go of our perceptions of reality, but also to let go of our perceptions of unreality. That is clinging to emptiness. This is what I like to do. But our teaching is called the middle path, not clinging to either side, form or emptiness, because they're not two. So we really can't say in the world of the 10,000 things, oh, I have no preferences. Or even someday, I hope to have no preferences. How will we choose what to get at the supermarket? Which cereal to buy? Much less what we, who we want uh, to be the leader of our country. We did choose. Our preferences only cause us suffering when we cling to them when we cannot adapt to the change of circumstances and act accordingly. So I'm thinking now that the change of government will change everything, but what can I do? This has been the year of what next? But the next year after the inauguration can be the year of what next? So much work to be done. And the question comes up to me, how can I help? How can I help heal what has been harmed? The country and the families that have been harmed by this unbelievable division, 
the people that have been harmed by injustice, the planet has been harmed by greed. After all, living in a kinder, healthier, more equitable world is my preference. Thank you for listening to all I've been thinking about and feeling. I look forward to hearing what you are thinking and feeling. Thank you. I'd like to offer another word for what I think you are meaning by preferences. When you take it out of the individual separate selfhood mentality, I think what we are feeling is, let's look at it from the plant world perspective. Let's use the word tropism. As you know, plants move toward the sun. The sun provides everything for us. When we have a sense of our tropism moving toward the good, moving toward what we know from within is the sun, is the love, is the care, is the vow. Mm -hmm. then of course we act accordingly. Thank you so much, Geno, for bringing your beautiful spirit uh, to your talk and your reflections and to everyone. I think it's such an important time for us as a Sangha, for us as a country and for us as a world and let us now go to our great vows for all. That's where it all comes from and leads to right here, right now. This vow. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.